from Battlefield Studio Alpha, welcome to the Wartime Leadership Podcast, where we explore what spiritual resiliency looks like from different perspectives. We often focus on the physical, emotional, and social areas of resiliency, but too often we neglect the spiritual pillar. Now, this looks different for everyone. We will be exploring what spiritual resilience looks like in the lives of our guests, who are people from all different walks of life. I'm your host, Nathan Coy, and today's guest is wildly a wildly entertaining storyteller, actor, and author of the number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked, Tyler Foley. How are you doing, sir? I said Foley. I said Foley. Oh, I'm doing good, Nathan. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation, despite the fact that, as you and I had uh, discussed earlier, being my full Canadian self uh, took a puck to the throat this morning and has given me this this wonderful kind of uh, bedside pillow talk voice. I mean, so it's very I'm soothing. To our it's conversation. very soothing. Is, you know, I've, I, it's funny because I've, I've had the opportunity and uh, privilege to work with um, Roger Love, who is uh, like the world's top ranked vocal coach. And, you know, he works with the guys on like the voice and stuff like that. And all I could hear um, when I was tr- when this afternoon, when I was trying to prep for this going like, wow, am I, <laughs> like my, my, my well, whole larynx is it's, crushed. It's black and blue. And, oh yeah. It's got, I got a wicked puck size bruise right on my Adam's apple. And um, all I can hear is Roger going more <laughs> air, just give it more air air so i'm trying my best to just give it more open air. up that window and allow in a little more air uh, yeah yeah hey. yeah so you know we're definitely running in the base register yeah this, i actually told afternoon. him earlier to, uh, to tyler i was like hey i don't think anyone is actually going to believe that it was you because we don't use video so <laughs> This no. is going to be interesting. 350 podcasts with my voice out there right now. And they're no. going to go, Mm-mm. no, that, Mm-mm. that was not, that was not the, the, to, uh, your credit though, uh, at least they're going to get the cadence. They'll be like, well, that sounds like something <laughs> he would say. It kind of sounds like what he would sound like if he had laryngitis, we'll give it a buy <laughs> this time, but only because he's plugging the power to speak naked. And so it's gotta be time who in their right mind would push somebody else's book come on seriously that's right hey listen folks this is just a taste of what this episode is going to be all about and i am super excited i'm super stoked but before we get going any further we got to do something five simple questions and these are quite simple and random as produced from my random generator which tyler and i've already talked about uh, that has gotten me in trouble more than once more more than once and that's okay tyler what is your most used emoji oh um it's actually not an emoji it's a bitmoji and it's a a me playing the drums and it says drum solo for your birthday so for every every one of my friends birthdays i send them a drum solo 
and 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 friends friends is in loose quotes because that goes out to people who have friended me on facebook so people i've never met facebook will be like it's so-and-so's birthday and i'm like happy birthday nathan drum solo for your birthday and it is it is easily well, my my most guess used, who's uh, getting emoji. a friend request from me later october 10th <laughs> you right. just remember that date uh, it's it's locked in. That'd be easy because it's ten. Very easy. Thank you for actually thinking yeah. of that. Now, do you have any pet peeves? Uh yes. Uh, when and this is a recent one too. When um, content producers on YouTube use AI voiceover and don't check their pronunciations. <laughs> Like it drives me insane because again, full Canadian maple syrup coursing through my veins. I watch a lot of hockey videos and I've noticed that there's a whole bunch of content creators that are pushing videos right now that butcher, absolutely butcher common names. I heard just name the greatest hockey player ever. Yeah. Pronounced Gritsky, like grits, like Southern grits, Gritsky. <laughs> I wanted to shoot this AI. Biggest pet peeve right now. Do your homework. Check your I, I would have to say that that definitely qualifies. Plus, you all couldn't see how excited he was getting telling me that. Hey, and I'm actually super stoked because <laughs> I just introduced my son to hockey. We went to our first hockey game together last week. So now I'm going to talk to him and be like, hey, have you ever felt what it's like to take a hockey puck to the to, to the Adam's apple? Yeah. Let me introduce you to somebody who does. Yeah. Hey, what is the craziest scene or event that you have ever witnessed? Oh, um, it, it, so uh, we need to put like one of those graphic warnings for your listeners that this is uh, th this could be a trigger. Right? This is trigger. a trigger. You, you have been warned. This is this is graphic. This is horrific. It was a fatality. It was gross. Um, I actually watched a guy walk through a propeller and liquefy himself. Okay, I I have some questions. Follow up, follow up. Um, yeah. Where was yes. this? Uh, this was on uh, the ramp at Pearson International Airport. And was it by accident? Oh, Absolutely. my goodness. Yeah, uh, he was running to get a chalk and didn't realize that oh, the number one oh engine gosh. was going. Wow, and being being active duty Air Force, like that's yeah, that's you know like exactly what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, no, and and that's the thing. He was a he was a trainee, um, new to the job. Had just been it was actually his second shift on the ramp. He'd been in training for three to four weeks at that point, and uh, and. Yeah, it was it was um, it was awful. This episode Absolutely was awful. not made for children. Uh, what was your favorite no. toy growing up? Oh, uh, Transformers, and then Lego oh. in that order. Ooh, what? Who? Okay, which Transformer was your favorite? Uh, well, so my favorite was Galvatron, uh, because I couldn't get Megatron, so. I wanted Megatron. That was all I wanted as a kid was a Megatron. And I asked for Megatron for my, for Christmas, um, just after mm. the movie came out and uh, Hasbro was trying to like 
ruined childhoods by transitioning <laughs> away. And like they they killed off Optimus Prime and tried uh replacing him with um Magnus. Mm. And uh and I, I actually got that too, like I because he was the car carrier. And I was like, no, this is not Optimus. This is a, this is a white Optimus. This is not right. Go away. Um, and then I got Galvatron uh, from my mom. And I didn't want my mom. Uh, my father passed away when I was six. And mom was trying mm. to make Christmas special for us when I was seven. And so that's when I got this Galvatron. I didn't want to break her heart. So I was like, oh, but it's not what I wanted. But I'll play with it. And then the more I played with it, I was like, no, you know what? Galvatron's not too bad. I'll, I'll, I, I could do this. I remember this. whenever they this actually okay. had the one that actually transformed into the gun. Oh, geez. Yeah. I was, I got in so much trouble with that thing. Oh, yeah. And that's all I wanted. It's all I wanted. And, uh, but yeah, no, couldn't get Megatron because he transformed into a gun. So I had to get Galvatron who transformed into a laser, yeah. but it wasn't the same thing. I was like, no, this is, this is, this is not what I asked for, but. but I Whatever, you. we'll grow to love them. <laughs> All right, final yeah, question. Exactly. <laughs> I'll accept you, Step Transformer. I'll accept I'll you. I'll accept you, bought at Ross in the bargain bin. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. just so anybody that knows, Ross is actually a... Okay, never mind. It's cool. You'll you'll get the point. Hey, if final question. If you could start a band, what would, it, what would the name be and what kind of band and music would you play? Uh, it'd be alt rock for sure. Um, like nineties throwback kind of like grunge stuff. And, um, I, I can tell you what the names would be. They would be either Cranston fields, Cranston fusion or school on Saturday. Cause those are the bands that I've drummed in. <laughs> uh, survey set. Yeah. Okay. We'll go ahead and accept that. That is perfectly fine. Hey, Tyler, it's already been an exciting uh, episode already for me. Thank you, because it's nine o'clock at night here and it you've kept me up. So that's good. Your voice is soothing, but yeah. not soothing enough to put me to sleep. There you go. That's right. Yeah. Just enough edge, just enough scratch to keep you going, but enough to See, keep you calm. Man, okay, you need to record some episodes now for like or or commercials for other people right now in this state. In this, in, in uh, again, with air, with a little bit of air, as Roger Love told me, a little bit of air, and we'll just put some air into that voice of yours, Tyler, and we'll All get right. you going. This is like, I feel like Casey Kasem. These are the smooth sounds of Alt Rock for you and your listeners KTOK at home. Okay, 94.7, The Edge. <laughs> Hey, Tyler, walk us through your background, brother. Like, take us, take us as far back as you want to go. Kind of just bring us through your, your history, your back all the way through Hollywood up to now. And Fasini said, go back to the beginning. And this is where we got the job. <laughs> so this is the beginning. Um, yeah. So when I was, uh, six, as I'd, I'd mentioned, my, my father passed away and, um, uh, I don't know if it was out of concern or if it was because uh, my mom just needed to find something to get me out of her hair. But um, I had the opportunity to audition for one of our local theater companies here, a professional company. And uh, I ended up getting it. I got to play Tiny Tim in uh, a version of the Car uh, Christmas Carol. And that kind of set me on my path for performance. I um, All through elementary and uh and into junior high and high school i i acted i actually went to a fine arts high school 
um and uh, you know it it was a it was a real passion for me and something that i've has always been kind of part of my identity as is being on stage um even when i wasn't like acting as a performance i was still doing performance art so um i would compete in like speech competitions um at the qantas festival and and uh do delivery of spoken word um i played in the in the band in junior high i actually played uh i it's hard to tell on camera but i am uh for all of those listening at home you have no idea that i'm five foot eight and 135 pounds but i am a wee (laughs) tiny man and when i was in junior high i was significantly smaller i was under five feet and i played the tuba and so like i could actually uh, fit inside of my tuba case and go to sleep <laughs> okay question um did you ever and, uh, actually do so, that yes i do oh, of course do you have no idea that is like the greatest sleep cocoon ever made like i understood japanese sleep pods long before they were actually a thing because of my tuba case because the uh where the bell area is that's the perfect place to like throw your feet and then it just kind of curves up and it like cradles your body and you, you just kind of like, you know, find a fetal position and you close the thing and it's all velvet. So it's like perfectly soundproof and it's dark, super dark. So you like close that thing and it just like seals off and you hear nothing. And it was, just, it was honestly, it was the greatest place for me to catch cat naps. I would <laughs> like recess. I, everybody else was out playing basketball. I was catching a nap. And Where, where's Tyler? Case. I don't know, but uh, he left his instrument out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the worst part is once when I shut it, the latch actually flipped partially shut and I couldn't get out right away. I like had to like rock it and like, bump it and get it out it was i was terrified because like then nobody the, nobody can hear your screams like it was like <laughs> what do i do <laughs> I, okay still a lot of questions to go with that but we'll move on go ahead sir <laughs> okay very well so yeah so i've been performing most of my life and uh at uh, 25 you know I did what most people do after being in a career for 20 years and I retired from acting and uh, took all my mad movie star money and uh, invested in myself and my education. Uh, went back, uh, got uh, post-secondary and uh, got an engineering discipline, uh, specialized in geomatics, which is super fancy way of saying earth study. So I made maps specifically, uh, photogrammetry, which is why I have my love of planes that I do. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, just a really, really, uh, good time for me. I started my own business. Uh, unfortunately that didn't pan out the way that I'd hoped it would and, uh, ended up becoming a safety professional for a period of time. Technically still have my national construction safety officer designation. And I do maintain it as part of a consulting practice, but, I found over the last five to seven years, I'm doing less safety and now training people more on um, public speaking because I found that that was the big disconnect with safety was a lot of people, right? Like safety meetings are boring. They're an invitation to a lobotomy and nobody wants to go. Concur. Yeah, except for mine. 
And I had a whole bunch of people who would come and be like, how did you make that interesting? I'm like, I don't know. And so I started writing it down and then I started advising uh, executives on how to, you know, be better as far as leadership comes from a presentation standpoint. Because a lot of people will go to Toastmasters and think that they can give a speech and they can't. And it's boring. And I I kind of dispelled a lot of myths really quickly with the... Um, with the professionals that I was working with. And then that just, that became, you know, a, it was a side hustle to start with that grew into a full-time vocation for me that paid significantly better than what I was doing, which was funny because the safety actually paid better than my other gigs. So I, I keep getting these side hustles that uh, translate into full-time jobs that then begat new side hustles that then uh, transform into full-time jobs. It's, I actually it's feel like odd. I should take a safety improv class now. <laughs> yeah, that is not I a bad it, idea it could be a thing it, it actually is a thing because when i do teach i teach a uh instruct and facilitate a course called um fundamentals of safety leadership and it sounds like a safety course until people get in and realize that it's primarily public speaking <laughs> it's kind of like this uh, ninja trick where we're like, ha smoke bomb. And now you're stuck here. And, um, and it is a lot of actually improv, like, uh, drawing on your own experience and, uh, finding ways of telling your stories in a compelling manner that gets your audience well, invested in and your that's, message. That's the key. So, um, it, it, it is that's the key, though. safety I think improv. That there is a lost sense of the, the true art of storytelling. Because every single speech yes. that you give, every time you get up in front of a board, every time you get up to tell somebody's safety story, I mean, that is that is what you're doing. You're telling a story, and it's the details and, and how you draw people into that conversation. That is missed in the boardrooms yeah. so much. Yeah, and, well, it's, I, and it's not just the boardroom. It's pervasive through all um, uh all of our interactions, uh, particularly when it comes to commerce interactions. So, so uh, business in general, but definitely the boardroom, but even like your, your town hall presentations, uh, the toolbox meetings, the kickoff meetings, all of those things have these elements and this ability to be way more interesting than somebody reading lines off of a PowerPoint, which that, so that's my other pet peeve, you know, AI mispronouncing words and people reading verbatim off of a PowerPoint slide. Like, stop it. Yeah, we, I want to so slap. I'm actually a, the commandant for the Airman Leadership School, which basically I'm the dean of the university. And one thing that we teach mm -hmm. is, is in speeches, we, we do improv speeches where we give you an object and we go, okay, you have two minutes to sell this object to us. Or, or like if I know somebody is a University of Texas football fan i'll be like i need you to sell me on the university of oklahoma and why they're the better program go and it's to teach them because they're <laughs> going to be getting in front of you know generals and colonels and all these other and they should expect to get in front of them but you need to be able to keep their attention even on a subject you don't like Yeah, or don't necessarily agree with. Like there's times where you need to present information where the back of your head is going, this is not correct. And be able to either spin it or bring your point of view to it uh, without um, insulting the subject matter. 
you know, I, one of the things like my publisher loves to splash with my book is uh, the stat that, you know, 75% of uh, Americans surveyed express anxiety around public speaking. And although it is a correct stat, it's based on a flawed study. Because the because there is this perceived anxiety around public speaking, but I promise you, three out of four Americans are not afraid to speak in public, or commerce would collapse. You'd never have been able to order food in a restaurant if you couldn't speak in public. And yet, millions of people every day walk into a restaurant, and uh, if they don't know their wait staff, talk to a complete stranger, ask for what they want, and get it. So these notions that we're afraid to pe- speak in public or we're afraid to speak to strangers uh, or speak in front of strangers because you don't know the rest of the patrons in the restaurant either. Um, you're afraid to ask for what you want. All of those things are are myths if you've ever been to a restaurant and ordered food and gotten it delivered to your table. The reality is, is we're probably afraid of public judgment because I can hear your audience screaming, Nathan. They're like, no, no, no. But when I go to a restaurant, the restaurant isn't looking at me when I order my food. So, so what, why is that the differentiator? Why is it that when people are looking at us, when we have, you know, the generals that are in the audience that we're trying to educate, why is it that suddenly that uh, becomes this, the issue? And it's that public judgment that, are the way that our, we are going to be perceived or how we use our words are somehow going to be used against us. <laughs> well, in a court and of law. I think a lot of that comes from, uh, you know, the nervous nervousness of saying the wrong thing. I mean, even on the intro, I screwed up <laughs> in, in what I was saying, but I just, I just rolled through it and let it be. It's, it's those types of things where people need to be able to be practiced at the art of speaking or at being able to stand in front of a mirror and look at it and know how darling of an individual I look like. Yeah. Well, yeah. Show me a flawless human being and I'll show you a well-trained and rehearsed individual who is masking a shit ton of flaws. Like, you know, there, none of us are perfect. And, uh, and in fact, I wouldn't even want to be, you know, it's our imperfections that make us uh, unique and individual and really need to be embraced. So, uh, you know, I, yeah. Hey, and even, even my filler words, like I am fully aware as a public speaker and somebody who's practiced trained for almost 40 years to do this, when I am using filler words, when I get stumped, what they are, how they transition. My current one, my fun one is ending sentences with right as though right? it's a question. <laughs> See, right. I was hoping you were going to end it with right. I was, I just, I wanted to see if you would take it to where it needed to find its natural, that, what do you call it in music? It's um, unresolved, right? And then you need to resolve the chord because if you don't, it's, there's this dissonance and you're like, no, I need to hear you come to a clean eighth. Do it. Don't leave me on a seventh minor. Oh my God. I actually just snorted. What, what, what in the world just freaking happened? I, I tell you, if you didn't snort, I hadn't made my guarantee, which means I owe you your money back, but I am wildly entertaining and damn it. I will deliver hey, Tyler. So when you, I, I can see how, when you would step into an environment, especially like about safety and these other uh, areas that maybe cannot be fun, right? When you're talking mm-hmm. to 
corporate America or when you're talking to a room full of peers or stuff like that, what does it look like for you to lead? Like, what is your perspective on leadership and how it how it changes? Because because you've gone from acting for 25 years into owning a business and, and throughout all of that now, you know, you're a family man as well. What does leadership look mm-hmm. like for you between those areas? I think for me, uh, leadership, and it doesn't change area to area. I think a leader is a leader no matter what they do. Because if you're a leader in your organization, but you're not a leader at home, you're not a real leader. I think it's uh, it's an embodiment and a willingness to do the things that need to be done even when they're uncomfortable. You know, I take a cold shower every day, mostly because of Jocko's book. And uh, I was like, I, and I remember not wanting to do it and thinking, I just, it makes me uncomfortable. And I remember reading the line, if you're not willing to be uncomfortable for five minutes in the morning, how can you do anything else for yeah. the rest of the day? You know? And, and so I was like, well, that's a dare. Fine then take your damn cold shower. And I did. And I still hate it. I I've been doing it habitually since my birthday, uh, 2018. So we're going on, we're coming up the fifth year that I've been doing it. And I still hate it every morning. I flip that damn shower thing and I get in and I go, why do am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? But then I remember, well, if I can't do this, what else is it that I'm delaying or putting off or can't do? And it really solidified because I'd read that book and then I heard Tony Robbins talking about it. And then I heard, um, um, what's his Wilf, Wilf Hom, or is that how you pronounce it? I can't remember. I saw my wife was watching, uh, no, um, oh, I can't remember now what her name is. And I should know because she's a super famous actress. Uh. And uh, anyway, she was my wife was watching her uh, her TV show, and Wilm Hoff, I'm pretty sure is his name, uh, was was on there talking about cold plunges, and so it was like this continued theme for me of like all these people were like, "It's so good for you. It's so good for your health. It's good for your mental health. It's good for your physical health. You got to do this thing." So I was like, "Fine, I'll do it." And now I'm stuck doing it, but I hate. I hate it. And so to your original question, what is, you know, leadership? It's the people who are willing to do go to that place of discomfort to achieve a result that other people only hope for. And then show other people how to do it. You know, you are the one to blaze the trail, but then sherpa the people along. And that, to me that's always kind of been my mentality. I want to be the sherpa. I want I don't need the glory. I don't need to be uh, yeah. Sir Edmund Hillary or Edmund, Hillary Edmund. Edmund Hillary. Edmund Hillary. It is Edmund Hillary. It is Edmund Hillary. Um, you know, I don't need to be the first one to get to the top of Everest. I, but man, do I want to be able to help you get there? Because you and I both know it's the middle-aged white guy that got the oh, credit. Oh yeah, but there was. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. But there, there were about five little Tibetans that have been to the top long before him who were like no no it's safe to come now sir 
Break your camera. No one will we'll believe you otherwise. We'll just let you do the final two steps on your own. How about that? Yeah, no. Yeah. We knew that there yeah. were Sherpas there that were guiding along throughout the... T- but you, you put it in a brilliant way. I swear for the last three, four tapings that I've had, and I asked this question, people immediately go to John Maxwell, which I love John Maxwell. I, I am a Maxwell leadership yeah. team member, right? Uh, I believe that's John C. Maxwell. I apologize. <laughs> but they give Just me saying. that answer and they don't character it in any way. They don't color it. They 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 try to go off of a yeah. this is this is what this is and that's it. And you put it in a very unique way because you personalized it and you put it into the point of I'm willing to do the uncomfortable things. And that is great because yeah. that's what we're missing a lot of in the leadership positions is taking that that standard but then coloring it a little bit different. Well, and I think too, the, the key is not just doing the thing that's uncomfortable, but then helping other people along because otherwise you're just a lone wolf doing a lone wolf thing. And if you're not bringing your pack along with you, you're not a leader. So you, you need to there, you know, it's one thing to have the vision. It's another thing to have the tenacity to see that vision through but it's another thing to do that with the help and support of people who want yeah, to help. They're and there you. for the mission because of you. Yeah. Because of you. And if you, if you don't have that, then you don't, you haven't quite reached that leadership skill yet. You are a leader, but you may not have mm. leadership and you can Absolutely. have two different things. Absolutely. 100%. And one of those aspects of leadership has to do with the resiliency, which is kind of where this podcast is is focused on in a large part. Uh, we talked a little bit before the show, and I, I kind of explained the fact that in the Air Force, in the military, we have four tenets of of resilience. You know, the three that are easy, mental, social, uh, and physical, those are easy because we're easily able to be drawn to other people in one way or another in that capacity. This podcast started because of the spiritual pillar, because people were afraid to have that conversation about what it looks like to them, because they were afraid of offending other people. And it shouldn't be that way. It should be a two-way conversation like you and I are having right now on what that looks like. So if you don't mind, Tyler, what and how would you define spiritual resilience, but then also how does it manifest in your life? Well, I, as you'd pointed out, I actually think it's the key pillar. Um, and I know it's funny because right pillars are supposed to be even, but for me, I don't think you can have the other three without the spiritual. Um, you know, you talk about mental resiliency and physical resiliency, like uh, when, whenever you hear somebody who's trying to be resilient in one of those two particular areas, and what's the term that you always hear, you just got to dig deep. You got to dig deep, got to find it within yourself. And, and these terms, all of those terms are um, synonyms for a spiritual belief and finding that. And I think one of the reasons that it's so hard for people to discuss is because there's a misperception between spirituality and religion. And I think because the two are uh, linked inextricably, that it's hard for people to separate the two. And you can be spiritual without religion and you can be religious without spiritualism. Like mm-hmm. it is very, very easy at when, when you find that real happiness and, and true understanding is when you link the two and you, you can become at peace with, with the two together. Um, 
but I think that's why it's so hard because there, I, I know some very, very devout religious people who are lacking spiritualism. And I know some incredibly spiritual people who are lacking the organized religion. And I know people who have both and I know people who have neither. And the ones that I'm always uh, in admiration of and, and, you know, I aspire to be is the people at that top who have the spiritualism along with the religion who, who are trying to tie in an understanding of, of why we are and how we can dig deep. And uh, so for me, that spiritual uh, resiliency is manifested and you have evidence of it whenever life isn't going your way and how you approach that. You know, my, my favorite saying is not mine. And I don't even know that it's Tony Robbins, but he's the one who says it the most, right? Life happens for you, not to you. And I love that. I love that because for me, my lot of events in my life have happened for me and I haven't understood it for a very long while. You know, there's, there's, there's times where you, where you want to throw your hands up in the air and say, why me? Why? Why did this have to happen? Why? And you may not have an understanding of it, but um, that spiritual resiliency is knowing that the answer is out there and it will come and having the faith. And that, that to me is true faith, having the faith that the answer is out there and it will be revealed yeah. to you at some point. And that's when you have that spiritual resiliency because there, you know, things can go foobar oh, yeah. really, really quick, really quick. And in fact, if they don't, you're probably mm. not living life. You are in a very protected bubble and you are not living. And understanding that, that things are going to go off the rails, things are not going to go the way that they are planned, and how you react to that is the definition of spiritual resiliency and further uh, an indicator of your leadership potential. I don't think that people potential. fully understand that you, you can't be prepared for everything. You can prepare the best you possibly can, but until you've gone through something, you don't know how you're going to react. You just have to be, you have to pack as many tools along the way as you possibly can. Well, and even if you've experienced mm. it, you still don't know how you're going to react. You know, like I've, I've, I've witnessed horrible, horrible things in both my, a, a few of my vocations and particularly now as a safety consultant and somebody who is expected to come and show up and do investigations on, um, you know, some very unpleasant things where people's lives have been either drastically altered or lost. And, uh, you know, I, the, the incident that I witnessed on the ramp profoundly changed me. You know, I didn't work on the ramp a day after that. It was just, it was not a place I was going to be, you know, but from that, I got on to the safety committee. Um, I, I really started to, to this beginning kernels of, of a safety career before I'd ever even contemplated a safety career. It was kind of that, that, that beginning catalyst of, of getting into it. And then you know, it's, it, you can go by and you can see similar things and life will be fine. And then all of a sudden you'll get like a weird trigger event. Like I had to do an investigation, um, 
at, in November of, of last year. So very, very recently. And um, it was a crane tip. We had a crane operator who was, well, the company that I was uh, consulting with had a, a crane operator, subcontractor, who was lifting um, two gentlemen in a basket at, at height and about and they're probably 60 to 70 feet in the air suspended and they're doing work at, at height. And uh, the operator was operating outside of the crane's limits. The crane tipped. These two guys went down and they were hurt very, very bad. And um, as part of the investigation, you know, we're going through, we're, we're picking up all of the all of the evidence, taking pictures, doing all these things. And one of the things that I had to collect was these guys' harnesses. One of the harnesses was just soaked in blood, absolutely soaked, because the guy had a lot of penetrating lacerations and uh, you know upper chest area, so there was a lot of a lot of bleeding. And um, I, this it was weird. It was the smell, and there's very few people who know what I'm talking about, but the people who do know oh, yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. It's it's that iron thick iron smell and it's just there's there's it's unique there's nothing like it and dried blood is dried blood and there's a lot of it and i remember smelling that and then i was instantly back at the plane and because when it that guy aerosoled because that's what he did there was a, it was the world's worst magic trick right one second there was a dude and then the next second there was no dude and there was like a single wow. steel-toed boot at the bottom of this prop and just the, you know, a white fuselage that had mm. been stained pink and it was gross. Um, and that's all I could smell because mm -hmm. that, because it got into the air, right? Like it just, it sprayed everywhere. It was gross. And so the smell hit me and then I was like right back there. Now I've done a couple of different fatality investigations. I've done other investigations, you know, blood has been around, like it's not a thing, but for some reason it was that day. And like, I remember pulling, you know, bagging this thing and being like, cool and just like needing to take a moment and that's what you know again it's that spiritual resiliency because that's not mental mm -hmm. resiliency at that point that's not mental toughness no 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 no. mental toughness is being able to work through a problem and maintain your emotions right spiritual resiliency is going i'm fucking triggered right now i don't know why 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 you know anytime mm -hmm. you're asking yourself why or why did this happen to me? Or what does this mean? Those are not mental issues. Those are spiritual issues. And uh, being able to identify and understand the difference, which is why I say that you need to have that spiritual component to be able yeah, to tackle uh, Robert the mental Party, who was uh, a guest on the show, he and I have become really, really close. Uh, LinkedIn, he... He's really good because he, he texts me a lot on LinkedIn, but then he'll, like every fifth message, he'll make it a voice message. Just because it, it it's it adds yeah. a sense to that, but he talks about spiritual resiliency in the form, of, and it kind of is similar with what you're saying and how you can define between the differences. Is that spiritual resiliency is kind of mm -hmm. like not just being able to make it through something, but being able to catapult beyond what you thought possible, and that's a huge step for. Yeah. I mean, anyone in the military, anyone in uh, first responders ambulance attend you know anyone in those types of scenes is going to know what that smell is and it's going to trigger a thought yeah. and and it's learning to be able to not pause in the moment but rather to get through the moment 
and then reflect. We're going to have to put up so many warnings for this show. Oh, yeah. My to to your audience right now, on behalf of me and Nathan, we just want to apologize for some of the dark places we've taken you, but we hope but that the let's humor get has on to resiliency. It. Yay! <laughs> Golly. Uh, but well, and I, I to to his point, um, I it I, we're the only way to catapult over, and and I will take this to a spiritual point too, right? And a religious spiritual point. Anytime we're talking about catapulting and overcoming an obstacle like that, I like to think of that poem, you know, footprints in the sand. And these, you know, I was, I, you weren't mm-hmm. alone. That's where I carried you. Um, you know, that is really, that is faith, right? If you, and, and it doesn't matter what you believe in, as long as you believe in a higher power, that there is a reason for it. That is, that is faith. That is spirituality. And spiritual resilience is being able to overcome those moments where you think you're alone when the reality is there are there is energy around you uh, supporting you. I, I remember going to um, Dr. John Demartini's breakthrough experience, and it was, you know, just a phenomenal it was gifted to me by one of my mentors, Bob Corbett, probably the greatest gift any human has ever given me ever. And I remember uh, it's a two and a half day workshop and going through it and uh, Dr. Demartini talking about energies and how even though you think you're alone, um, you know, somebody is thinking about you and you are supported somehow. And I remember there was this guy who was very literal and he wasn't, you know, this was a little too frou-frou for him. Like, this is a little woo-saw and I don't believe in this junk. Mom I'm a man's man. You're not going to make me listen. I'm a man's Yeah. And I, I, I remember thinking, you know what? He's not incorrect because there is no way of actually knowing that. And so I made it a, a very um, purposeful decision that day that whenever somebody crosses my mind for whatever reason, and this can be super distracting sometimes because like it can be inconvenient to follow through with this promise. Uh, but whenever somebody pops into my head and I'm thinking of them, I send them a message right then because I would like to know how many times that person needed that support. And what's interesting, and I've been doing this now for coming up two decades, the number of times I've texted somebody being like, hey, you're just on my mind. Hope everything's well. If not, reach out to me anytime. The number of times I've sent that message and gotten a response back that goes something like, you have no idea how badly I needed to hear that. I can't talk right now, but you know, are you free to chat in a little bit? And they're like in a dark, dark place for some reason, you know, not necessarily, um, you know, in a self-harm way, but they're in a, a state of distress and need help. And, and I, I, it's not scientific by any way. And my pool of data is very small. Uh, but I would, I would challenge people to do that and, and run this experiment and just see for yourself, you know, how you can do it, because that's my faith that there is somebody out there that is supporting me if I can see them yeah, or not. 100% because it's better to be safe than sorry. If they're coming to your mind, it's better just to be like, Hey, I'm thinking about you. It can be as simple as that. I'm thinking about yeah. you. 
doesn't mean it's it's emotional. It's not the foo foo side of it. It's literally, hey, you came across my mind. You're doing all right. Yeah, just want to check and, in. You know, yep. usually, I I talk about uh, I go into okay, well, give us a situation. But I think you have done a really, really good job of great job of framing what that looks like in your own life and what you go through because it's those those moments those events that we we navigate through that kind of bring us on the other side of what it is that we're going through and that's spiritual resiliency and i i, I think you did a really beautiful job of kind of crafting uh what that looks like outside of the norm because i think the norm uh says you know it's it's belief in something bigger than yourself which I get. It's yeah. good. But uh, I'd like to, I mean, since you did such a wonderful job with that, I'd like to move on to talking about being naked. How was that for a transition? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it smooth. So smooth. Smooth like scotch. My, okay. Got, I, I see what you did there. Okay. Yep. I'm not good on picking up on social cues sometimes. So yeah that was a good deal no hey talk to us about the book because i think you mine is still apparently making its way here <clears throat> uh but you do a really mm -hmm. good job of talking people through the art of speaking so where did this book come from well but, and, and I'd alluded to it uh, a little bit earlier working with the executives that I was I was saying the same thing over and over again. And eventually I ended up teaching a course on it because that was easier than doing the one-on-one. -on -one. The one-on-one's great, you know, private clients, always big ticket money and your, you know, my bank account likes working one-on-one, -on -one, but my sense of purpose doesn't feel fulfilled. And uh, the more people that I can help do this, because honestly, it's not a hard skill. And I can say that because I've been doing it since I was six. So if a six-year-old can learn how to public speak, anybody can learn how to public speak. And I wanted to show people because, and, and the thing is, is it has mm -hmm. real world impact, right? We've all tuned a leader out, a leader with a great vision and uh, a great purpose and a great idea that doesn't get implemented because they're a poor communicator. And I've seen the opposite true. You know, there is a, a very famous example from around 1936 up until about 1945 of somebody with a horrible idea who was an excellent communicator and because of it was able to implement it in a mass, mass scale. So, you know, I wanted to be the person who was using my powers for good instead of evil and be able to help people really communicate their ideas through the power of story. And so I, I made the, the course to kind of make it easier for me to do that on a, on a scalable level so that I could be teaching 20 people at a time. And then it went from 20 people at a time to 100 people at a time. And then it went from 100 people at a time to about 250 people at a time. And that just, it just made it so much easier. But I was having a hard time getting onto the bigger stages to get people to come to the events and learn it at 200, 250 people at a time because I didn't have a book. And my agent was like, listen, I've been getting some inquiries about you, which is super cool. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. People are asking, yay. She's like, you will never get on a stage if you don't have a book. 
And I was like, oh, she's like, so you have to write a book. And I'm like, but I don't want to write a book. She's like, well, then transcribe your video. And I went, oh, hey, that's an idea. We could do that. So that's actually what I did. I took, because I, again, I grew up in film and television. I record everything. Um, I'm very masochistic that way because I like to watch myself and then be super critical of everything I've done. So it's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. It's my way of, of learning and growing better for my audience. And uh, so I had literally hundreds of hours of video that we ended up pulling, uh, transcribing the best parts of it and then turning it into the book, which is really nice because when people sit down, it'll be great for you, Nathan. I know you don't know what my real voice sounds like, but you know what the cadence of my voice is. <laughs> and so you'll be like, when you read it, you'll be like, oh, wow, that that actually, when I read it, I can hear Tyler in his very deep bass. I, I'm actually, I'm actually going to voice. read it um, and read it in your cadence and listen to your voice. I. But the thing is, is it's punctuated in my cadence because I literally spoke my book and, and to my own horror too, because I've read my book and my editors did a really good job of cutting out my filler words, but they did leave in occasionally. I will uh, start a sentence with, so, so this is where we go from here. Right. And, and so they're in the book, the number of so's that are in the book. I'm like, Oh, could we, could, could we have, and they're like, no, that's your voice. That's how it is. We're going to leave it in. I'm like, but it makes me sound like an idiot. They're like, no, no, no. You sound smart. It right? makes you read like an idiot. And I'm like, uh, right. <laughs> uh, thank you, Nathan. See, see if anybody didn't get that joke, you just need to rewind to yeah, about the exactly. 12 minute mark Absolutely. and then come back mm -hmm. to this and you'll be laughing your hat. It, it'll be good. Um, so it, I did it right there. Uh, it, it's painful for me to read my book, but so many people have come up to me and and been very appreciative mm -hmm. of the language that's in it because it's really accessible. Um, and I tried to give, I mean, I downloaded 35 years of experience into the book and, and well, I, I put and my all into it. the thing is that the reviews say the exact same thing. They, they read the exact same way no. as, as to this. It's very simple. It's a simple comp it's a simple yeah. it's simplifying a complex thing for me you make it very personal people take it as a personal journey for themselves and it's great because i mean you read the ones it helped me professionally it helped me personally it helped me and they i mean one individual actually walks through almost the entire thing just giving the outcomes of what they got and and it seems yeah. like you have simplified a complex thing for people Well, and, and that was the, that was the main goal, right? Because it's, it, it doesn't need to be complicated. And, and that's been my philosophy on a lot of things. So both my safety consulting career, when I was really running with that safety, doesn't need to be complicated. There sometimes need to be complex solutions to make a job safe, but that doesn't mean that safety itself needs to be complicated. And the more you complicate it, the harder it is to implement, the harder it is for people to actually do which makes mm -hmm. it less safe. Uh, so if you can't make safety simple, your safety system is broken. And if you can't make your training, whether that's public speaking or safety or just you know your job apprenticeship, you can't make that simple. You you're not training well. These you the more complex the system, the more complex the idea 
the more abstract the idea, the more simple you need to make the, that instruction. And that was, that was always my goal with the book was to, to make it accessible to everybody so that it was easy to understand. I didn't want to give something that was high end theory. I wanted you to be able to pick up the book, read a chapter yeah. and then implement those ideas or even read a page and implement well, and that it's idea. Small, right simple then goals there. that you can implement for yourself throughout your day. And that's exactly the way I'm taking, I'm going to take yeah. it away is that, okay, what can I do today to accomplish this? Simple as that. Hey, yeah. Tyler, do you want to, do you have any final words for our listeners as we exit out of this? Yeah. So if for anybody who's listening and, and particularly because, you know, I know we were talking about uh, resiliency and how that can lead to leadership. And, and we did touch on, you know, how leadership is often the person who has the ability to do a thing that most people would deem uncomfortable, even if it makes themselves uncomfortable and, and do it anyway. Um, usually the most uncomfortable thing for us to do is to be honest with ourselves. And if you want to be really a powerful leader, you need to tell your story your way. And usually the thing that your audience needs to hear is the thing you're afraid to say. And I promise you, if you can find and muster the courage and the bravery to say the thing that is on your heart, that you're terrified to let the world know, instantly you will find your people your audience, the people who need to hear that thing that you're afraid to say. And if you can find the courage to do that, you will be the leader of that group as opposed to the follower of that group. And I, I would encourage everybody to recognize that you have a story somewhere. And it doesn't matter that anybody else may have done it bigger, better, faster, stronger, brighter, or first. Your story is your story and it's unique to you. And you have no idea who needs to hear your version of that story because maybe that other one didn't resonate with them. So find the courage to do that and speak your truth and you'd be impressed and amazed and at the Tyler, difference you'll make Tyler, thank you for the taking the time this evening to sit down, talk to us, invest into us, because that's how we look at this as an investment from you to the listeners. And in this case, to me, 100%. Today's episode is only possible thanks to my friend and producer, G. Frazier with 369sounddesign.com. Uh, I know that he's going to have a lot of fun with this episode, and he's probably going to take it from two times speed, probably put it to one time speed just so he can get a good laugh. We are blessed by the entire team here at the Wartime Leadership Podcast. See you next time. Be blessed.